word that I actually have to bring today um, has to do with what you do when you're by yourself. You know, and, and I love church. And I don't just say that because I'm a pastor. Uh, but I say that because I love church. I love the idea of church. I love what God meant his church to be and designed it to be and designed it to do. I love having uh, an extended family is the way I like to put it. Um, you know, for some people, church family is, is, is closer to them than their actual family. Uh, they'll call someone from their church before they call their own blood sometimes. Um, and that's because we should be able to rely on each other and, and, and uh, you know, be able to uh, lean on each other. Amen. We're to encourage each other. The, the, the Bible says when we come together and when you walk back out that door, you should feel encouraged by being around each other in the body of Christ, being around your own family. Um, but today's message, I want to talk about self-service, self-service, because there are those times. And if you, uh, uh, you some of you may have already experienced those times. And if you haven't, they're coming. Uh, where it's just you. It's just you. There's nobody you can go to. There's nobody that understands your situation. There's nobody that really knows uh, what you're going through. And um, there's times where it's just you. But you always want to make sure that it's you and someone else. It's always you and someone else. But sometimes that someone else isn't someone that you can call up on the phone. Sometimes that someone else isn't someone that can just come over to your house and have a talk with you or, hey, let's go have some coffee. And so you better have a someone else and that someone else needs to be God himself. I want to show you a story here in the book of First Samuel, chapter 30. First Samuel, chapter 30. And um, if you know anything about David, uh, it took him a while to get to the great to get to be the great king that we know him to be. See, that whole killing the giant thing, we always want those kind of victories in our lives. Uh, you know, we, we want to slay giants in our own lives. But you probably don't want what David had to endure after he killed that giant. Because, see, he wasn't king yet. He had been anointed as king, but he wasn't the king of Israel yet. And so he kills this giant, and, of course, everybody wants him to be king. And everybody's praising him and everybody's thanking him for what he did, because essentially what he did was save the nation of Israel from a giant that nobody else wanted to face. But after that, although people are praising him and people are loving on him and thanking him and think he's so awesome, wanted to be king. There's one man that's now hunting his life, and that is the king. And so David went through. A lot of years of turmoil and agony and being chased by King Saul himself for about 14 years before he becomes king. And every time that someone on his side, because see, David had a team of men that went with him that knew you've been anointed to be king. We're coming alongside you. We're going to serve you. And so they went with him while he's being chased by King Saul himself. Uh, they had a, a group of 300 men, the original 300, <laughs> the real 300, and they were way better than what you see in the movies. I mean, these guys one time, uh, David said, man, I'm thirsty. And so six guys 
get together and say, hey, the man's thirsty. Let's go get this guy some water. So they go into the enemy's camp, pour themselves a cup of water, and get out of there, get it all the way back to David. And, uh, you know, some of you are smiling because you know the story. Because David gets the cup of water and pours it on the ground. These guys just went into the enemy's camp to get him a cup of water. And David pours it on the ground and says, I can't believe you guys did this for me. And he worships God right there. And you're thinking, do you know what I just went through? (laughs) Come on, guys, let's go back. But these are the kind of men that David had. Men that would lay their lives down. For him, but here in First Samuel chapter thirty, uh, he's king now, and this isn't a super exciting story for David. It says in verse one, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. So David has just led them into battle. These men have sided with David, and now they've lost their town, they've lost their wives, they've lost their sons, they've lost their daughters. And there's such turmoil and are weeping so much that they just even lost the power to weep. And David's two wives, uh, Ahinoam and the Jezreelites, uh, and Abigail, widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. So David's got his wives taken captive too. Now David was greatly distressed. Why? For the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. So now these men that have come alongside David and have been his greatest support through all this now are turning on him and want to kill him. See, you know a true friend because they'll ride the storm with you. But there are those that, you know, you thought were friends and they turn on you or leave you when it all goes bad. Hey, we were with you when it was good, but now it's all bad, and I'm not so sure that you're that anointed king anymore. One second, you're the anointed king sent by God, and the next second, you're the reason why they're experiencing all the turmoil and pain. So what do you do when even the ones that you thought were close to you leave you? What do you do when you no longer have anybody in the earth to turn to? says, now David uh, was greatly distressed. Where am I? Listen, we got to keep going. The last sentence. But David strengthened himself in who? The Lord. David strengthened himself. See, it's great when you can call up that best friend. It's great when you can go to your husband or your wife. It's great when you've got somebody to turn to. But what do you do when you're alone? But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Look at this in the Amplified Version, verse 6. 
It says, but David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. See, when we think of being encouraged, we usually try to find someone to encourage us. We usually go out and try to find someone. We usually try to find that person that, man, I I just need an encouraging word today. And you know what? Those people are in your life. And you need to make sure that you stay close to those people. And identify the ones that are only with you because things are good. But there are times when you are alone. And you have to encourage and strengthen yourself. Now, notice I didn't say lonely. I said alone. Because when you are alone with God, you're never lonely. When you are alone with God, it's never lonely. In the natural, it might seem lonely. And this is the key, because most people have never really trained themselves to be alone with God. And if we don't have anybody to go to in the natural, we automatically feel lonely. See, we have misinterpreted being alone as being lonely. But when you have the right source, you're never lonely. And so we've got to learn as believers that people aren't our source. People aren't our source. Now, people can be an encouragement to us. We've just talked about that. And that's why it's so important to have a good church home. Just to be honest with you, there's things that I've gone through in my life that if I didn't have a church family, I don't know what I would have done. I said church family. Church family that believe the way I do of one faith, one spirit that can come together in one accord. It's amazing that uh, Jesus' 12 disciples who used to argue and fight each other all the time when they walked with Jesus could get into an upper room and be in one accord around one cause. See, we may not all agree on the same stuff, but we're the body of Christ. And there are some things that we can agree on. We have one faith and one Lord, and we can encourage each other in that. Amen? But there are times where you're alone. And I'll put it this way. There are times where you need to be alone. Now, Jesus, he always had people around him. Except for when it really counted. When he got arrested, how many people were with him? Zero. They scattered. The one that told him, I would never betray you. I would never deny you. Denied him three times. Not one time, not two times, three times. In fact, Jesus got sold out to the enemy by someone that was on his own side. This man that had multitudes follow him. Wanting to heal them, wanting to perform signs and wonders. I mean, there's one time, two times that we know of that he fed people. 
And it was 5,000 and 4,000 just men, not counting the women and children. We could have had upwards of 15 to 20,000 people following Jesus out in the middle of nowhere just to hear him talk. Every time he went into houses, they're packed. People have to cut open roofs to get to him. He always had people with him. He had 70 disciples. He had 12 disciples. Then he had a group of three that were even closer than all the others, Peter, James, and John. He had people. He had friends. Some people need a lot of friends. Some people just need one friend. But when it really counted, Jesus ended up alone in the garden. I mean, the guys that he had brought with him, he had to keep waking them up every hour. Can't you guys just stay up? Can't you just stay awake one hour with me? Ever had anybody fall asleep on you when it really counted? I'm talking to you. What are, are you hearing anything I'm saying? Yeah, we've all been there. But Jesus wasn't distressed. You know why? Because he had a habit of getting alone with his father. Jesus made a habit in his life of getting alone. Even though I could have multitudes of people. See, most of us find safety in that. We find safety in having all kinds of people around. We find if I could just have this many friends, if I could have this many, uh, you know, girls from church that I meet with, you know, every Tuesday we go get coffee together. If I could just have that. But Jesus made a habit of getting alone with his father. Not only did he get left alone. See, most of us, the only time we ever get alone is because everybody's left us. But Jesus made the decision to get alone. I could be with all these people right now, but I'm going to get alone off by myself. So what do you do? Stay up all night in prayer. What do you do? Get up way early. Several hours before the day even began over in Israel, the day began around five to six a.m. So he was getting up anywhere from two to three in the morning to pray. How many times do we see that Jesus went up on the mountainside by himself to pray? So he had a habit of getting alone. So in the times when he was left alone, when everybody left him, even those that were closest to him, he still wasn't lonely. And the only time that we see where Jesus cried out because of feeling lonely was when he was on the Christ bearing all of our sin. And he said, God, why have you forsaken me? You're the one that I went to. When no one else was there. You're the one that I went to. To get alone by myself. Why have you forsaken me? And that was only because he was bearing the sin of the world on him. Because God will never forsake you, he promised. He'll never leave you. He said, call upon me and I will answer. He said, if my people who are called by my name would pray. Look at John chapter 11, verse 42. Every time Jesus was alone, he never felt 
lonely because he was alone with someone else. Because when you're alone with God, you're never lonely. In John chapter 11, something terrible happens. Jesus' friend, Lazarus, dies. Mary and Martha call for Jesus. He's in another town. It says, hey, your friend, our brother, is dead. And they call for Jesus to come. And he waited four days to show up. Now, although Jesus had done so many signs and so many wonders, and he had actually raised dead people before this act, there was nobody around that believed that he could do it. So Jesus is all alone. Even though he's surrounded by people, he's still alone. Because he's standing all by himself. But righteousness will stand all by itself. A, what, a person that believes in God will stand all by themselves. It's amazing, you know, we, we think that, man, if, if I just lived in Bible times, if I just, if I walked with Jesus, if Jesus came and saw me, I would believe, I would do this, I would go. If he told me, hey, you need to go do this, we, we think that. But yet these people were with him and nothing changed. I don't know how different it would be if Jesus literally showed up to you and said, hey, I need you to do this. That's why we just got to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit and just listen to his spirit. But Jesus is here alone, even though surrounded by many people. And he tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, I know, Jesus, when he'll come when, when everyone else just didn't even get it. Right over her head. And so Jesus standing all by himself in John chapter 11, verse 42, he makes this statement. Actually, I need to back up to verse 41. John 11, verse 41 says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. See, nobody else is listening to me, God, but I thank you that you hear me. What does the Bible say? James says, uh, or First John says, we have this confidence that when we make requests known, when we make petitions known, when we pray, he hears us when we pray. Jesus was confident of that. Jesus was not moved. Nobody else is listening, but I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. That they may believe that you sent me. Jesus isn't praying because he's trying to get God's attention. He had God's attention, and he knew that he had God's attention, and he knew that God was paying attention to him, and he was paying attention to God. Why? Because he had a habit of getting alone with God. See, some of us don't have the confidence that when we pray, God hears us, because we've just never really spent the time to pray in the first place. Jesus is identifying the key 
to not feeling lonely is in your prayer life. Your prayer life is the key to being alone, yet not feeling lonely. Now, God is a spirit. That means that he's not here in the natural with us. But that is even better because that means that he can always be with you no matter where you're at. See, people here in the earth can only be with you at certain times. They have to physically be present. But here, God being a spirit, he can be with me and is with me all the time. So even though I'm alone, I don't have to feel lonely. Even though I'm alone, I'm actually better off because I'm alone with the one who can change the situation. But I've got to develop a prayer life. If you have no prayer life, when you're alone, you'll feel lonely. Because the very one who's with you, you have no contact with. We have no connection with. And so Jesus is making it clear The reason why I can go on and do what I need to do, even though everybody's left me, because let me tell you something, people are not required for you to fulfill God's purpose for your life. But yet sometimes we live that way. Sometimes we act that way. Sometimes we act, well, if nobody else is doing it with me, then I guess I'm just not going to be able to get it done. God never required people to be alongside you. To fulfill what God has placed on your life. That he will cause you to influence and impact people. And he will be, he will bring people. But if everybody left you, you're still successful because you remained obedient. Jesus, when everybody left him, said, well, I guess I'll just forget it. Forget this whole cross thing. I mean, everybody's gone. Everybody's left me. Nobody believes in me. Nobody believes that I can do this. And, you know, everybody ran, so just, I, I guess I can't do it. I mean, ultimately, when it, when it came down to it, Jesus fulfilled God's plan for his life all by himself. <laughs> all by himself. I heard someone ministering on leadership uh, this past week, and He said this, he said, anytime God gives you a vision, in the very infant stages of it, there's only one person that really believes it can happen. And that's you. When God gives you a vision for your life, even if you're married, you've got to get your spouse on board with you. So initially, God gave you the vision and you're the only believer in it. So the way you got into this thing is the way you need to get through the thing that me and God are in on this thing. And if everybody leaves me, if everybody forsakes me, I'm not lonely. I'm just alone with the one who's going to help me accomplish everything he's called me to do. I got in it by myself. I can finish it by myself. And thank God that God calls people alongside you. I'm thankful for all the people all the vision partners, all the Elevate uh, ministers in this building that help us accomplish. But I tell you right now, if everybody left, I keep going until God gives me a different assignment. 
Because success is not in how many people are alongside you doing it. Success is in obedience, period. It's finishing and answering the call regardless of what everybody else, because God never required them for you to be successful. They can help you be successful. But really, when success comes down to it, it's all tied into you and God. It's not even you and your spouse and God. It's you and God. Look over in Jude chapter 20. So our prayer life, or not Jude chapter 20, Jude verse 20. It's only one book. So I see Jude 20. I'm thinking, oh, Jude chapter 20. We're going to read the whole chapter of 20. No, it's one book. So Jude chapter 1, verse 20. Jude says this, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. We saw David over in 1 Samuel. He said that he strengthened and encouraged who? Himself. Sometimes you just got to strengthen yourself. Thank God for people that can come into your life and be an encouragement and be a blessing to you. And you need to value those people. But there are times where we have to strengthen ourselves. And let me put it to you this way. If everybody were to leave you and you're feeling down and not continuing to fulfill the purpose God has placed on you, God is going to come to you and say, it's your responsibility. He's not going to excuse you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see what they did to you. I see what happened there. In fact, sometimes not only will people leave you, Uh, they'll make sure that they discourage you before they leave. People have a hard time just leaving. Let me just tell you. People have a hard time just walking out. Pastor Mark, uh, you know, this isn't just for us. But hey, just just go. It's all good. I, I understand. But sometimes they feel that they have to give a word of discouragement. Before they walk out. So. Strengthen. Yourself. We've got to learn to strengthen ourselves. You've got to learn to strengthen yourself. When you've got everybody around you. And you've got to learn to strengthen yourself. When you're all by yourself. We can never just rely on the encouragement of others. To get us through. We had better know how to strengthen and encourage ourselves in what? In the Lord. Jude says here, in your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you right now, those are some of the greatest times of encouragement for me. Greater than someone coming and telling me. And I love that. We all love it. We all love it when someone gives us a pat on the back. We all love it when someone comes and encourages us and just says, man, thank you for what you do. We love that. Why? Because it lets you know that you're making an impact. People are in this thing. I'm not telling you 
at all to go and just get out by yourself and just, you know, go live in your house all by yourself. I guess I just don't forget people. No, the Bible tells us to believe the best in everybody. The Bible tells us that that is our greatest area of influence is people's lives. Amen. But that doesn't excuse us from knowing how to strengthen and encourage ourselves in the Lord. That doesn't excuse us from when everybody's gone, we get alone with God. And when everybody's there, we get alone with God. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't need to pray this week. You know, I, I had... I had coffee with Caleb on Tuesday and I had lunch with Chase on Wednesday. And, and then, you know, I came to church on Wednesday night and got to see everybody. And then on Friday, you know, Nelson and I went to lunch. And, you know, I, I don't need a prayer life. I, I'll pray next week when there's no one, there's no meetings. <laughs> I tell you right now, that's dangerous. That's dangerous to the believer. Because God's your primary source. Your prayer life is the key to never being lonely in times of aloneness. And we have to get better at getting alone. We all got full schedules. From the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, the clock is ticking. The schedule is running. We will all have it. So what I suggest is do it before the clock gets going. Change your clock. (laughs) Do it when the clock's done ticking. Everybody's down. Everybody's in bed. You've got to be able to get alone with God. Because there will be those times that are discouraging There will be those times that are distressing and all the people that you thought were with you have left you or even turned on you. And you better know how to get with God. Be with God. I heard a minister say one time, uh, talking to pastors, he said, if the people are getting to you, you're not getting with him. If the people are getting to you. See, when, when, when you are getting with God, people will never get to you. No matter how many times they stab you in the back. No, how many, no matter how many times they turn against you. And no matter even if it's the ones that stay with you through the end. You still know God is my source. God is my supply. I'll go to him and receive encouragement. I'll go to him And be strengthened. Amen. We've got to be able to get alone with God. Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Father, we thank you that you have promised in your word that if we just call on you, you will answer. If we just call on you, you will be there. If we just call on you, you are right there. So, Father, we give you our attention. We give you our time. We give you our focus. We make time, even when everybody's around us, even when the schedule can be full. We make time to be with you. We make time to speak with you. We make time to strengthen ourselves 
It's our responsibility. It's nobody else's responsibility to encourage us. It's nobody else's responsibility to strengthen us. But Father, we can be strengthened and encouraged in you, through you, by you. I thank you, Father, no matter where we're at, every individual in this room, whether we've got everybody with us or it seems like we're going through a season where nobody's with us. Father, I thank you that you are always with us. I thank you that you reaffirm that within every person here this morning. That you're always there. You'll never leave. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that you're with us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen.